Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Devorah Heitner. She is a leading authority on raising resilient and kind kids in our always connected world. Devorah has spoken at schools and top companies all over the world, and her writing on kids and technology has appeared in the New York Times and the Washington Post, among many other places. Devorah is the author of the best-selling book, ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World, and her brand new book is Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. Welcome, Devorah. Thank you. So right on the first page, you set up perfectly where things stand for our kids. You say, unless you were a child celebrity, your children likely have far less privacy than you did. (laughs) Exactly. Can you explain to that? Can you help us set up that world that our kids are born into now? Yeah, I mean, we're like paparazzi for our kids. We're taking their picture and sharing it all the time. And then they quickly enter a world where their peers and friends are are taking and sharing pictures of them and sharing information about them. Plus, school is tracking them on a bunch of apps that I wrote about. So there's just a lot of ways that our kids are surveilled. And when we were kids, for the most part, again, unless we were famous... Probably we were only known to our family, our school, the people on our block, maybe in our religious community, but we weren't really searchable. You know, our face wasn't known outside. And one of my first experiences where this became really clear to me, and I don't even have a major presence on social media, I'm not like, you know, hugely influential there, but I had shared a picture of my kid, enough pictures of my kid on Facebook that he was recognized in another city as a little kid. We were at a parade in another town. And someone was, you know, turned to him and said, are you, and he has a weird first name, last name, like I do. And he was like, very disconcerted. And the person had recognized him from my posts. I always find that when I was in, I raised my kids in Los Angeles. Now I'm back in New York, but I would recognize celebrities' kids. And I'm like, why do I know that part? Like, I should not be recognizing that person. That's a child. And it is very disconcerting, but you aren't just talking about like people who are raising their kids like as YouTube influencers. I mean, this is not just for like the segment. No, I'm like, I probably had like 500 Facebook friends at that time. And it was a family friend that recognized my kid. It wasn't someone completely unknown, but it was still creepy. Oh, okay. So it wasn't from your writing. It wasn't, it was really just a Facebook friend thing of like, oh, this is not fame adjacent. This is just Facebook. Yeah, but it's still, 
creepy for kids and it's creepy for kids to have people know things about them. You know, like, again, if I post like, oh, my kid just aced their swim meet or they just got their black belt and then someone sees them and congratulates them and they haven't told that person. Again, it's just this mildly creepy feeling of just, wait, how do you know this about me? You talk in the book, actually, about the moment when an adolescent sees their parents' Facebook page. And they become aware of, because of course, my kids don't have Facebook accounts. They, they're in a different set of apps. But the moment at which this kid becomes aware of the stuff that has been shared about them for the last 14, 60 years, it's usually a rude awakening for those kids. It can be. Yeah. It's like eating the apple. They're like, what? In heck? Yeah. So I definitely talked to some kids and parents who, you know, recognize like, oh, mea culpa, like, I should have gotten permission. I should have done this differently. And we're all learning. I mean, that's the thing is all of us, like we're not trying to expose our kids or make them feel, you know, bad or exposed or like inhibit their adorable behavior at home. We just have to recognize that, you know, even stuff we think of as innocuous, like your kids, you know, cute PJs or their bunny slippers or something like that might not work with their fourth grade street cred. And they might get teased about some of the things we share. So we just need to be thinking differently. And I think actually this generation is thinking differently. The kids growing up are so aware of sharing and fame and influence and all of that by the time they're in middle school, certainly that I think we have a different set of issues on our hands, but we can be quite clueless about sometimes our sharing and who sees what and all of that. So we need to think about our boundaries. And then for our kids, you know, there are some other issues we need to help them with. And I think it is interesting because I have far-flung friends and family, and I love keeping up with them and their kids on social media. But I do often have that feeling where I'll see them. This is the one who's into ballet. This is the one who likes horses. And I feel like I know these kids, which I find very value add in my life. I sometimes realize this is a kid I haven't seen since they were an infant. But I feel like I kind of have seen them grow up. And I haven't thought as much about the downside. So we're not saying that's all out, no social media. We're talking about, right, like finding kind of balance between both sides of the equation. Yeah, I think we want to find that balance about how much we share. And we also want to think about how much we know anyone based on what they share. I mean, I feel like I've kept up with my friends when I'm following their social posts, but I still need to see them in person or call them and actually catch up because I think we only see one really narrow slice of anyone on social media. And so that feeling of like, I know what's going on with someone because I've been catching up on Instagram may not actually be accurate. And I think social media, sometimes it's like filling yourself up with, you know, popcorn, but like, that's not the full meal. So it's it's great to know what people are up to, but I really have resumed, you know, calling people, for example, which is a habit I think a lot of us have fallen out of. But it really helps, especially with people you can't see in person. Oh, I mean, my phone has no role in my life. Yeah. So, you know, the sort of inadvertent issues of oversharing that we all fall into are definitely something that we need to be concerned about for our kids' privacy that we maybe aren't thinking about. But on the other hand, there are these huge issues that we are all thinking about every day as parents and super freaking out about that, that they do have a lack of privacy, that they do have a lack of that they're growing up in public and the screw up, the ill-considered choice, the photograph of their friend in a bathing suit, like whatever, that, that at any moment our kids are liable to make a choice that will tip them over into forever canceled, you're the worst person in the world. And that fear drives us without really knowing how to help them with that. That's where this starts, right? 
we as adults need to work to make it all less perilous. Like we should be fighting for what kids have in the UK and Europe and California, you know, the right to be forgotten where you can take data down when, you, you know, from before you were 18, things that you posted. That's, I think, something we should all be looking at. And we should just be looking at a society that's less willing to throw children and teenagers under the bus for something that they share. I think kids need to be accountable. So we don't want to say to kids, you know, you can say whatever you want and cause as much harm as you want and everything's fine, clean slate. But what we do want to say is when kids mess up, we want them to move forward and we want them to be accountable in their own communities, right? So if a 12-year-old says something horrible about a teacher at her school, which is like a really not okay thing to do, and they post it, they should be accountable in that community, but they shouldn't be known for it 20 years later, you know, in a worldwide search, right? Like they should be accountable in that moment. They should make restitution to that teacher. They should recognize that some people in their community will have a hard time trusting them to be a nice person again, unless they can really work to show that they've changed. And that's all appropriate. Kids should make amends when they mess up and hurt other people, but it shouldn't go beyond, there should be a statute of limitations and it shouldn't go beyond their community, even if it does glow, blow up and go viral as has happened to some unfortunate kids. And we should never be part of amplifying another person's mistake, especially kids. I mean, I think even adults, we shouldn't necessarily gleefully amplify something harmful someone has said because that actually amplifies the harm, right? So we don't want to participate in that. But with a kid, we should especially focus on their learning. And then if they've heard someone else, we should also be focusing on the targeted community. Like say a kid posts something homophobic or racist in addition to helping that kid figure out their stuff and get right with themselves and do the work they need to do, we also need to look at the targeted community because if that slur got posted, guess what? That targeted community has probably heard that more than once. So what's going on at that middle school or high school? How can we make sure that the queer kids feel safe or you know, that the targeted community feels safe? Like who was targeted? We don't want to only focus, in other words, on like amplifying the bad post and like, you know, throwing that kid under the bus. We need to see that kid as like the canary in the coal mine. Like if that kid is on record on video saying a racial slur, like, guess what? They learned it from somewhere. Like, how can we deal with these incidents? Not just by sort of punishing the one kid, but really focusing on the whole community. Yeah. And I think the instinct to, I had an incident with one of my children that was doing something genuinely naughty, but not super harmful. They were basically making prank calls. But I mean, these prank calls were like calling Burger King and being like, do you have a Big Mac? This was not a mature, you know, thing. And someone else who was nearby was taping them to say, I'm going to hold you account. Like you're wasting these workers' times, which they certainly were. I'm not defending the behavior. It wasn't like the smartest thing to do. It was the kind of thing that 11-year-olds do when they're bored. And I kind of sat and waited in total paranoia for this video to pop up somewhere on social media. Like, can you believe these evil kids who are making prank calls in the park? Daily online. <laughs> Spoiled American teens. And I was like, what a world. Like, I definitely spent some great part of my childhood calling stores and saying stupid stuff. I'm sure it was annoying to the storekeepers, but this is not a community event that needs a community solution. But let me tell you, it was very frightening to wait those couple of days. It never did appear. But what is that instinct that we all have to be like citizen journalists now to say, like, I'm going to tape anything I see that sees seems a little bit outside the lines? It's so tricky because obviously when we look at a situation like George Floyd or some of the other, you know, police violence, like, and that may 
I mean, that is like an incredibly brave thing to do and a really important thing to do to expose yes. violence. But in general, when we use our phone to just distance ourselves from what's happening or judge another person instead of helping, like I always think about like, what could I do in this situation that would be more helpful? You know, like I could like, say I see a kid pushing another kid at the park, I can be like, hey, it looks like that person is smaller than you. And they're saying no, like you can stop it. And you can say that to someone else's kid, especially if there is no clear adult around, right? Or you can even intervene and physically protect someone if you feel safe doing that. If that's not, you know, safe to do, like in the case of police violence against someone like George Floyd, like, you know, yeah, videotaping might be the most ethical choice in that moment. But if it's a kid and they're just like walking out of the library without, you know, checking out the book because they forgot or whatever, like just be like, oh, did you forget to check that out? And maybe you're wrong. Or because they're trying to steal it. I feel like just put your phone away in that case. I don't know. I mean, it, you're right. It's like there are lines. Yeah, exactly. Or but or just say like, hey, did you forget? Or you don't even know. And that's the thing is there are many times where adults or kids in my own life have done something that I'm concerned about, like, say your friend posts on her own social media, like a rant about work that you think might get her fired, and you see that her setting is on super public, you could just text her and be like, dude, I think you should take that down. Like, you don't have to like, expose it and amplify it. <laughs> you know, Like what we should all be watching out for one another. Yeah, you could be part of the solution. I once saw a teenager I know post about you know, something for work where it looked like he was offering to write papers for people. And I think also you can give people the benefit of the doubt. I was like, hey, you probably, you know, you probably just mean that you are going to help people write their papers, but it sounds a little bit like it could be academic dishonesty. And I know you've already been accepted to college and you have a scholarship. I just don't want anything to go wrong. And just like tell them directly to fix it. Right. And not this, you know, you could post it in your local mom's group in a fit of outrage and expose the person. But why? Why would you do that? We're talking to Devorah Heitner and her brand new book is Growing Up in Public. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So, Devorah, our kids are growing up in this tricky world. They're, everything they're doing is in public. They're figuring out who they want to be in public and sometimes making mistakes. We are very concerned about protecting them from the potential consequences of the things that they might get wrong. And you say in your book that where we go wrong is by thinking that overtracking their digital presence is the way that we're going to protect them from something bad happening. Especially if it interferes with our relationship with them. Like the most important thing is for your kid to be able to tell you, hey, somebody dropped, you know, a genital pick on me today, you know, via airdrop and I'm really freaked out. It was super gross. Or, hey, somebody's harassing me in my direct messages, right? Or I feel really bad because my friends are all on Snap Maps and I can see they're all at a party right now. Like we want our kids to be able to tell us some of what's going on for them. And if they think we're over-tracking, they're going to potentially shift their energy to hiding from us versus being able to come to us when they need to. And also learning to solve more minor to moderate problems on their own. Like a certain level of social conflict in middle and high school is typical. And we want kids to be able to resolve that. And we may not want to live through the trauma of, you know, reading their every group text in seventh grade because we might, it might take us to a really bad PTSD middle school place ourselves. Instead, we might want to say, like, these are some situations that could come up in the group text, and I'd want you to come talk to me and get advice from me if they come up. And, you know, you could kind of talk about those red letter situations like a kid threatening to harm themselves or substance abuse, that kind of stuff versus, you know, if you're reading everything, first of all, you're not going to understand the context. You're going to be kind of traumatized. You'll never see their friends the same way. Some of the kids that you like, you won't like anymore, (laughs) which is hard to deal with. You can't erase some of those things from your brain. You'll find out your own kid probably has different language they use with their peers than they use at home. And to a huge degree, that's a positive, right? Our kids should know that there are different contexts for different ways of speaking. But I think it just really collapses a lot of boundaries if we're especially covertly monitoring our kids. If you are going to monitor, like say you got your kid a new phone and you want to look at their texts initially, make sure that they're doing it right. I would let them know you're there and also give them some kind of parameters. Like I'd like to look at this with you once a week for a few weeks and or a few months to see how it's going. And then I'm going to back off if I see that you are, you know, doing it well. And then I still want you to always feel like you can come to me about any situations that come up in texting or in social media. I think when we overtrack our kids from what I've seen and from the interviews I've done with kids, they end up focusing all their energy on hiding from us. Mm, It's another one of those like 
balance issues, which all of this is, because I think, and we're constantly trying to push back on the podcast, that it feels like some of the advice is like, all roads lead to like, mom is doing it wrong. And that is exacerbating the problem. And it's like, we always feel sort of trapped in this world of like, you're powerless, or you're overly controlling and whatever happens. So it is right, like this finding of a balance. One of the things we try to do in our house is we plug our phones in on the kitchen counter. And so there are times where I'll pick up a phone because I think it's mine or whatever. And I'll see a text and I'll say, I really didn't like the tone of that text I just saw. And it's like, I'm kind of around, but not, I'm not monitoring. I'm not, I don't have any apps. I'm not looking at what they do, but there's a general sense that I might see something at any given time. Like, does that feel like the right kind of balance in this whole world? Yeah, I mean, that's more like overhearing on the phone, which we all did when we were kids versus kind of diving into for the transcript, which is a different level of intrusiveness. And I think it's great to give kids that feedback. And especially too, if they're struggling with something like, you know, if my kid is struggling to make plans, and I'm like, hey, can I look at the texts where you all are struggling to make plans? And especially early on, like earlier in middle school, I'd be like, I see nobody's mentioned a time or a day in this thread. Like, I'm just going to throw out there that even if it's not the final time of day, like sometimes proposing a time and a date can really push the process toward plans that work, (laughs) you know, and things like that. So those are times where I think it's really helpful. And yeah, absolutely letting kids know the tone. And another thing that we have to recognize is we grew up hearing our parents and siblings on the phone and our kids are watching us thumb out our lives. So we may want to be explicit about, hey, I'm going to actually wait and not text grandma right now because this is really big news. And I think this might be news for in person or just giving them some of those big notes or I'm having a conflict with someone on email right now. So I'm going to try to talk it out in the office tomorrow because I think we're going to get to a better resolution in a conversation. Um, Obviously, we're not going to explain every single thing we do, but just giving kids some notes about how we're handling challenges or frustrations or communication misunderstandings, because texting in particular is so frequently is a place where we get misunderstood and kids get it. Like when I go into schools, I'll ask kids, why is it so easy to get in a fight on text? And they all say, because you don't have vocal tone, you don't have facial expression. So they understand some of what's challenging about this stuff. And if we can then give them the note of like how to move to an in-person or remove yourself from that toxic group text and kind of work it out, that's really helpful. And I think, so I'm not saying we don't want to mentor our kids. I'm just saying like fully reading the transcript everything in the group text is really a rough way to go. And also you don't have time. Like I guarantee you do not have time to read everything. Well, there's also a difference, don't you think, Devorah? Like Margaret's kids are young teenagers, tweens and young teenagers. My kids are older teenagers and I even have a 20-year-old. And you talk about in the book that maybe a 12 to 14-year-old does need different sort of, not necessarily oversight or big brothering, but just coaching, much more than a 16, 17-year-old who has sort of figured out for themselves what they're comfortable sharing, not sharing, fighting on text, fighting <laughs> 100%. I'm nodding my head like the people listening to this podcast can see me nodding. So yes, 100%, because it's so important that we give kids the space to develop these skills. And we have to recognize that especially after the last few years in the pandemic, most of them are probably needing more coaching on some of the social pieces. And some kids will need more help navigating that than others and will be ready to start earlier than others. So there's a real range of where kids are 
and what their skill set is. And so absolutely observing your own child and where they need support is very important. And then as they get older, I mean, if they're 20 in college, a lot of times we're still paying for their plan, but (laughs) that's not a good time to be reading their texts, I guarantee you. (laughs) (laughs) What about uh, geo-tracking? This is something that you kind of come down on the side of like, not a good idea. Why is that? I think it can really undermine people's trust. I definitely did talk to some people who said they didn't mind or they accepted their parents' geo-tracking because it was a condition of having the car or having a phone. But I think we're all moving in a direction of greater surveillance. And I think we need to be pushing back, you know, whether it's Snapchat maps and knowing where our friends are, whether it's mom or dad putting Life360 on a, a teenager's phone. It's very tricky because once you get all that data, (laughs) you end up having new questions about your kid that you wouldn't otherwise have. And it can actually undermine trust. And parents also feel tracked and surveilled. I will say the best use I heard of for Life360, and I don't think this made it into the book, but especially during the pandemic with College Kids Home and at formerly empty nester parents uh, having their kids home and having no privacy I did hear a good use of Life360 was knowing when your kid was on their way home so you could have sex with your partner. And I was like, that's a good use of Life360, <laughs> like claiming some intimacy because these are the grownups, the grownups. Yeah, the grownups. Right. But like, but I think that that's, you know, your kids, if your kids have left the nest and come back and they're like home for a year suddenly out of nowhere yeah, and have the freedom to roam in a car, right? They're not going to be like coming home at 3 p.m., you know, at school in a predictable way. I was like, oh, I, get, I could see the use of that versus being like, could you give me a 20-minute warning before you come home? And your kids are like, why? <laughs> no follow-up questions. Not going to happen, right? We're talking to Devorah Heitner. She is the author of the brand new book, Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. And we'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches, I get cranky, and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. 
And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So in part three, we like to talk solutions, always solutions. And you mentioned this concept, but I think it's worth really clarifying for our listeners, mentoring over monitoring. So let's talk about that concept and what you think it looks like. So mentoring is helping kids get it right or, you know, helping kids when they have messed up, figure out how to repair and move forward and get it right the next time. Monitoring is about catching them doing the wrong thing often, which, you know, is it's often too late. Like if you're waiting to find out if your kid has seen porn and you're looking at their browser history from two weeks ago, that's not as good as a proactive conversation about why you want to learn about, you know, puberty and consent and, and other issues around sexuality from other sources, like good books on the topic and, you know, from your parents and qualified educators at school, not from searching the internet. And there's so many other situations like this where, you know, again, like seeing a conversation, you know, as you pick up your kid's phone saying, I don't like the tone is great. If you happen to have a kid who plays video games and they play with no headset and you can hear them in the moment, you can just walk right on by that Roblox playing kid and be like, dude, that's not very nice, you know, right? And, you know, give them feedback in the moment. And I think it's, that's mentoring. Monitoring is like, I caught you you're in trouble now. And it doesn't do as much to help kids figure out, well, where do I go from here? Like if I, you know, okay, maybe I got my phone taken away or some other consequence for getting this wrong, but what does getting it right even look like? What are my options? So mentoring could be talking about in a group text situation, you know, maybe you have three options. If somebody's being mean, you could go directly to that person in a text. You could confront that person in front of everyone. And I think as adults, we know how that's going to go, right? Or you could go to the person who was targeted and express solidarity to them privately. And a fourth option would be like leaving the group text. So just even going over some of those options, letting your child brainstorm some options. Ideally, if they come up with some ideas, that's good because then it feels like it's coming from them. It feels more authentic. And it's important to give space to our kids' ideas. Like even if you say, wow, it seems like you really get angry when you play that one video game. What do you think would help? And see what they say. They may actually have a really good solution. And that's more of a mentoring conversation than a monitoring it goes towards an idea we talk about a lot on the podcast, which is getting on the same side of the net of the problem. And it seems like monitoring is you versus your kid, opposite sides. And mentoring is like, hey, let's 
the two of us figure out this difficult problem of the digital landscape. And just recognizing that you too struggle. Like I can say to my kid, it's so hard for me to focus on my computer when I have a hard task that I don't feel like doing. And there's so many other fun things to do on the laptop. And I see that's a struggle for you doing your homework. Would it, you know, what do you think would help? Do you think it would work to try to do some of your homework unplugged? Do you think it would help to go to a different space? Like here are some things that I've tried. And so it's not like what's wrong with you, kid? Why can't you figure this out? It's like, yeah, these devices are pretty distracting. Like let's think about how to get work done in this environment. You also talk about moving from fear-based approach to an empathy-based approach. And you gave, a, I thought, a brilliant example in the book, which is you see that your kid is texting at two o'clock in the morning. You can tell from their screen time usage or whatever that they're up half the night texting. And, you know, instead of coming in over the top, like, don't you understand how important it is to get a good night's sleep? You you can lead with the empathy of the kid is talking to a friend who's really struggling. There's a reason that they're up at two o'clock in the morning and it's they're trying to help a friend. Should that be happening? Do they need support around that? Those are other questions. But it isn't your kid's not a bad kid because she's texting at two o'clock in the morning necessarily. Right. Yeah. Starting from the place of, you know, everything has a reason Right. And, and of course, yeah, you might need your kid to rethink their boundaries or focus on their own sleep and the important mental health and physical health benefits of that rest. But generally, yeah, if a teenager is going to do something at 2 a.m., like there is a reason. I mean, and maybe the reason is they're really struggling socially themselves or emotionally in a relationship, or they may be in love for the first time. There's so many reasons, right? And they may be supporting a friend through a crisis. And I think even if we want our kids to work on new boundaries, we can start from a place of like, you're a really caring friend, right? Or whatever it is that we see in them that's, you know, drawing them into this stuff. Like some kids who really struggle with boundaries with social media is because they don't want to let anyone down. And like, you know, if, if you have a kid who's that kind of upholder and they're doing that kind of social labor, of course we want them to have different boundaries, but you can start from being like, yeah, I, you know, your friends appreciate you and you're a really good friend and they'll be okay if you don't like their posts till the morning. You know, like we can, <laughs> we can work that in. Well, you could have both. Let's talk about when a kid does go viral for the wrong reason. I have had this, you know, in our community a couple times now and it does. People love a pile on, like people love to feel self-righteous and it goes to a point of like, let's all, we should know this is happening in our community to clearly like, let's all get out our bats and keep beating this dead horse for another week. What happens? What do you do in the case where it happens? I think we first of all should refuse to participate in the pile on and no matter what someone's done or how upset we need to focus on supporting the, you know, the target or the targeted community. Again, if someone was hurt by the post, if no one was hurt by the post, like say it's a photo, a video of a kid vaping, like I talk about in the book, the only person who's hurt by vaping is the person who's vaping. And in one of the posts I talked about, the kid was even fake vaping. He was like holding up a vape to try to look cool. And that's a problem of context, you know, like taking that photo out of context, like that kid in that moment thought that would be a funny joke taken outside of the context, which is such a problem of social media and digital communication. You know, people were offended and appalled, but he's not hurting anybody. Right? And so I think in that case, there's no targeted community to stand up for. We just want to be like, why would we promulgate this image and hurt this kid's reputation when we know nothing about the kid, we know nothing about the context. Like that's where I would just say, stay out of it. And we want to teach our kids that too. Like if something's going viral at their school, don't be the one who shares it. If someone sends you a nude of someone, which can go viral as well, like never share that. I mean, that has even other legal and other consequences, but like never share the thing that's just going around. Don't be part of 
that spread of potentially misinformation, reputation, harm, et cetera. And I think we need to kind of, when someone wants to share something like that with us, say, hey, that's somebody's kid. And we always need to remember that we haven't seen everything our children have done. Even when sometimes people will bring in the screenshots to the principal and be like, look at this crazy group text and look at what, you know, somebody said to my child. And they're not scrolling up thread to see where maybe their child was participating in the conflict in ways that might not sound lovely, you know, and it's not that sometimes you know, yeah. What if it is your kid that is in the nude? That is, that has made the mistake. That is the one everybody else is talking about. What if it's in your own house? How do you lead with empathy? Then I, ideally you're dividing and conquering the situation. If there are two parents in your household, one of them is the PR person dealing with the world and the other person is focused on mental health. If you're a, a solo parent, you know, a family friend or another person who cares about your kid needs to play one of these roles because truly in that situation, if your kid is going viral, and is feeling shamed, that is a very dangerous situation in that moment because kids are impulsive and heaven forbid your kid feels like there's no way out. We don't want them to take any measures that can't be recovered from. So someone needs to be really on that kid to support them from a mental health perspective. And even if we feel really disappointed, like maybe they said made a joke about someone that wasn't funny or did something problematic, we still need to support them and let them know that they can move forward from this. You know, we might be disappointed in their actions, et cetera. With a nude, I think we just want to focus like, I have respect for you. No one should share that without your consent, right? But if they're harming someone, I think it is fair to be clear that you don't agree with the actions that they've taken and you want to work with them to get to a better place about those issues and you want to keep them safe. And then ideally, there's another adult out there trying to claw back that video as much as possible try to keep it out of the press, try to make sure that people aren't circulating. And certainly a nude, you have a lot of legal rights. And with a minor, if it's posted on any social sites, you can contact them. And But literally, I would divide and conquer that because it's going to take one person all day trying to get that thing, you know, clawed back, trying to get the kid's schedule changed at school if people are harassing them. And another person to focus on what is now a mental health emergency in your home. And so, that is a very tricky situation. And I, I think a lot of families who've gone through it, you know, would have good advice. And there's some stories in the book that I think will be helpful to people. But that's why I would never be part of a viral shaming pylon. I have seen the damage that it causes. And I get really frustrated when I see people see children make really even very poor choices and say like, well, let's keep them out of college, for example. <laughs> you know, if a kid is clueless, they should go to college. College would be a great place for them to get a clue. Like, don't keep them out of college. If they're saying something really misinformed when they're 15, they obviously need to go. So I think we really need to rethink this idea that, you know, college is like a reward for a childhood well-lived and only perfect people should go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, gosh, that's a whole other podcast in itself. But cosine. Absolutely. It's such a scary concept. Does it help? I mean, to contextualize this stuff in advance? I have a little joke with my kids where I'm always like, don't act the fool in town. Because if I see you on the mom's board in town, I'm gonna, you know, like, we talk about the mom's board as like the ultimate eye in the sky. I'm like, you're gonna end up on the mom's board. Big brother. <laughs> Big brother. But we kind of try to take the sting out of it a little bit by being like, that is actually for people who, I don't know, who want to share recipes and do a lot of interesting things. But the downside is that that is for like a certain type of kind of vulturous person who lacks their own value. Like, does it help to kind of contextualize social media that way? 
Yes. And I think mentioning that other people are performing and that people are kind of cropping their lives in a certain way. But certainly, yeah, to say that if there's a mom's board in your town where people are like, I saw your kid jaywalking, like, let it go. Like, let do not post it. Like, if you want to admonish my kid in the moment, like if you see my kid riding their bike without a helmet and you can like say something to them, you know, without actually causing a traffic accident, like don't yell at them while you're driving by. But if you see them and be like, you feel free to say, dude, wear your helmet, you know, but do not post and shame somebody on social media for that. That is totally crossing a line. And I think people do need to get new hobbies if that's what they're doing all day. <laughs> I want to end on a positive note, Devorah, because you made a point in the book, which I thought was amazing, which is that teens, you know, they are becoming themselves in public. But there's one very good positive to that that I hadn't considered, which is that teens in real time are destigmatizing difference, that they are showing up as who they are, and they're changing the conversation. And that, that's, that's something to be proud of our kids for. I agree. And I'm so impressed with kids. Yeah, they're sharing about queerness. They're sharing about neurodiversity. They're sharing about their experiences with racism and gender-based discrimination. And it makes us nervous because it's, you know, sharing anything about mental health. I mean, I was in therapy as a teenager and I did not even have to be told, don't tell anyone it's stigmatized. I just figured it out because I was pretty noticey about the culture. And I would just say to friends like, oh, I've got to go. Or I have to go to work. Or I have an appointment, whatever. Like I never said I'm going to see my therapist. And the fact that today's kids could be like, I've got therapy, I got to bounce is amazing. And again, it's not that anyone has to reveal their mental health status or any of these other experiences or identities that I mentioned. I think it's totally great for folks who want to keep private. That is always a right and a choice that should be valid too. I just think it's great that kids can share about their ADHD, about their, you know, neurodiversity, about their queerness, again, about their experiences of survivorship and the fact that that's possible and can be supported. They are destigmatizing all of these things and changing the conversation. I think especially around mental health right now, we're seeing that. And it's a great change in our culture. And I do think adults, you know, it makes us very nervous because we grew up with all those stigmas and we're like, whoa, whoa, do you want to put out there that you're, you know, transgender? Like, or do you want to put out there that you're pansexual? Or do you want to put out there that you have, you know, ADHD or dyslexia? Like, or, you know, or your Me Too uh, story, like maybe you don't want to put that out there because we were conditioned not to do that. But for the kids who choose to do that, they're doing it to come into community, not just coming out to a public. And I think they're building something that we'll see good results from for, you know, many generations. We've been talking to Devorah Heitner. Her brand new book is Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. Devorah, tell our listeners where they can find you in the book. So I am at DevorahHeitner.com. The book is every place books are sold. You got your bookshop, you got your indie bookstores, you've got your Amazon and Barnes and Noble, all the things. So please read it. Tell me what you think. Talk to your friends about it. I am really interested in hearing people's stories about what it's like to grow up in public and what it's like to raise kids growing up in public. We will link to all of those places and to our bookshop. And thank you so much for talking to us today, Devorah. This was such a useful conversation. Thanks, Devorah. Thank you. Everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. 
Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.